Welcome, everybody. This is a special episode of the Shawnee Developer Series, where for the first time since 2019, we are recording this episode live with a worldwide audience. This is being recorded on day one of the first ever Absalon Shiny Conference. And with this opportunity, I thought this would be a great chance to bring back a few familiar faces that I've had on the developer series for a fun discussion around the world of consulting with Shiny. So first, let's introduce our esteemed panel for our discussion. And up first, we have Dean Atelli. Dean Atelli is a Shiny consultant and the founder of Atelli Tech. Dean is the author of several highly innovative R packages, including Shiny JS, Shiny Alert, Shiny Screenshot, and more. Dean previously worked as a software engineer and web developer before joining the R community. And if you're interested in supporting Dean's efforts in open source, visit his GitHub sponsors page, where he's definitely <laughs> taking great uh, contributions there. Up next, Thank you, Eric. We have, yeah, great to have you, Dean. Up next, we have Tanya Casciarelli. Tanya Casciarelli is the founder of TCB Analytics, a boutique data and analytics consultancy. After graduating from Northeastern University of a dual computer science and biology degrees, Tanya started her career in the data-rich field of bioinformatics in the early 2000s. And the next decade of Tanya's career included more commercial use cases for data science and analytics. And Tanya also hosts a worldwide community of over 500 data enthusiasts, has helped universities launch data science programs, and is a frequent speaker at tech conferences like this. So welcome, Tanya. All right. Up next, we have Pedro Silva, who you've heard already in this great conference. He is a front-end and R-Shiny developer at Absalon. And he also specializes with, of course, consulting, open source packages, and machine learning products. He has extensive experience as a front-end and software engineer before coming to Absalon and quickly became a fan of Shiny for web application development. Welcome, Pedro. Glad you're here. Thank you. And last but certainly not least, we have Mike Thomas, who is the chief data scientist at Catchbrook Analytics. He has an extensive background in credit risk modeling, but has built and de deployed data science solutions across many other industries, including biopharma, marketing, manufacturing, agriculture, insurance, and nonprofit. Mike is passionate about bringing strong design and software development best practices into his data science work. And in addition, Mike is a co-host alongside myself for the Our Weekly Highlights podcast. Welcome, Mike. Glad you're here. Good morning, everyone. All right. Well, I am, again, super excited to have you all here. Um, I do have a set of topics I'd like to address, but I also want to invite the audience to um, put their questions in the chat, and we'll certainly weave those in as we have time. But I've certainly been looking forward to this kind of discussion for a long time. So we're just going to kind of dive right into it and see where this takes us. So first uh, topic I have is that, as we all know, especially those attending the conference or have had involved with Shiny even just a little bit, one of the biggest selling points is how quickly someone with basic knowledge of R is able to get the application up and running quickly. But when you consider building production apps for clients, what, in your opinion, are some of the key skills one must have in the R space or even in general software engineering to equip themselves to create these high quality and reliable apps? So whoever wants to take that away, go right ahead. 
I... Go ahead, Dean. <laughs> sure. So I'll, I'll start with a few. I'm sure you all have some. Um, so yeah, the, the leap from, from making an app that works, you know, on your local R studio versus putting in production. Um, I think before that, um, there's another small thing that I would say that should be done. Um, you'd be surprised at how many times I get clients telling me that they want to put their app in production. And when I try putting it up, the first thing we notice is that it doesn't even work with two people on it just because they're doing things inside that don't allow for concurrent users to use it at the same time. Things like using a global a super assignment that will overwrite one person's variables into another person's session. So always before wanting to deploy, check on two tabs on your own computer that the app still works. I think that's the first thing I would say. Um, and other than that, I think there's just a lot of things that in general software engineers need to do when they deploy applications. So things like um, understanding Linux administration, uh, understanding version control. A lot of us use Git. Uh, understanding how to use version control properly, uh, branching, um, thinking a little bit about security, where you will host your app, uh, thinking about um, reproducibility so that if uh, if you need to if your server goes down you'll know exactly how to put it back up on a different server um, so there's a few things I would say I'll open the stage for some others <laughs> sure I'll, I'll chime in everything Dean said of course um, and I'd say you know from a just strategic thinking uh, perspective you get a lot of clients too that they want to build something but they don't necessarily have that end goal or question in mind um, so I'm constantly kind of reeling them back in and bringing them back to life and back to earth to say, well, what, but what exactly, you know, are the decisions that you're going to make uh, before putting this in production and who's going to have access? Who are the end users? How will they consume this information? Because it's very easy. And as I'm sure you've all had the same experience to just build cool stuff and shiny. Um, and then it collects dust on a shelf because you haven't really tackled like, oh, this is a really cool map or this is a really cool chart. But what exactly are we gleaning from this? So it's just something in my kind of rapid prototyping methodology where I'm constantly talking to the client about, well, what exactly are we trying to do here? What are the questions or business problems we're trying to solve? Uh, and also Shiny Apps IO has been a lifesaver. I don't have to run my own Shiny server anymore. <laughs> sure, I'll, I'll jump in with maybe um, one of my, one thing that's important to me is sort of defensive programming, I think is especially important within Shiny. Um, there should be no way that some sort of combination of clicks or user inputs throws an error in the R console, which would kill the app or disconnect the app. You don't want that to happen. It'll just confuse the end users who, who don't really care that Shiny is what's running this app in front of them or, or don't even know what R is necessarily. And then another thing that I think is really important um, in terms of productionalizing apps is two-factor sort of submit what I call two-factor submission for like important decisions that are going to write to a database maybe if um, you're using your your shiny app as an interface to uh, write out some important data to a database that's going to get analyzed downstream um, so ensuring that somebody can't just accidentally click something and then you know some big important event happens ensuring uh, ensuring sort of that they have to take multiple steps to accomplish that big important event is is one thing that I think is important. Uh, and maybe I would add, uh, it's, I'm the last one going. Uh, 
I think a lot of the things that we're kind of touching here are related to uh, general software development. And I think they very much apply to shiny development as well. Uh, one thing that I think we didn't mention was testing. So making sure that you have a robust and strong enough battery of tests that as you go through production and as, as you end up changing more in the application, uh, you kind of want to make sure that you don't break anything. So I would say that uh, testing is also super important uh, when it comes to making sure that when you're in production and you end up pushing a new version, uh, you don't end up breaking something that your users might might not be very happy with. Yeah, these are all awesome points. One thing I'll just mention is that the sooner you think about these, even for situations where you don't envision bringing a particular thing to production, future you will thank yourself because there are times where you feel like you have to bolt this on after you've already done maybe a, a year's worth of development or, or however long, and then you amass a lot of technical debt. So having these thoughts in mind even if you don't necessarily tackle them right away, but even knowing that they're on the horizon can definitely help you uh, future-proof for that event. I'll also just add, um, to expand on on Michael's point of the two-factor submission, uh, I think, and also in general, focusing a lot more on, on the UI and UX, because usually when you build the app just for yourself and you've been the only one using it and developing it, then you kind of focus more on functionality and you don't really know how other people will view it or use it. Uh, once you put it in production, it's assuming you want other people to use it as well. So it's good before that to try to get some other people to look at it, try to experiment with it so you can see what's not clear. And also yourself just kind of put some more active thought into actually making it more usable, more user-friendly, more clear. Yeah, that's actually a great uh, transition to one of the other topics I want to discuss is as we think about maybe teams or organizations that are getting into Shiny kind of, you know, from this, you know, very early on or they're new to it, but then they want to create applications that maybe adhere to a UI and UX philosophy or stack that some of their other existing applications have. And they've been built with different things like, say, Node.js or other web technology. I'm just curious from y'all's experience, um, what are some development techniques within Shiny itself to kind of help an application maybe conform to say UI standards or UI toolkits that can make it so that somebody is viewing this app, but they may not necessarily think of Shiny, they just think it's another app in your organization. What are some techniques you all have uh, done to address some of those concerns? All right, I'll, I'll go first again. <laughs> um, so one, one simple thing that I, I like to do is if it is a big organization that has their own kind of brand and feel, uh, I usually ask them for some sort of a style guide uh, where they can provide us with, um, with the fonts that they often use with the colors, the primary colors, the secondary colors, uh, what sort of like background colors usually they use for their pages. Um, and just, um, you know, their logo, obviously, and just little things like that, that you can quickly add into your own um, apps CSS. So this isn't huge, but I find this is a very low hanging and fairly easy fruit. Uh, I would, I would add that, um, so design systems, definitely. If, if your company has a design system, has all those metrics, uh, all those uh, different elements already designed, this is a really good help. 
putting this into practice is usually a bit, a bit more complicated. Uh, so not every stock is easily convertible to Shiny, uh, but usually you can collect a lot of that, uh, a lot of those styles, a lot of those fonts, a lot of those elements kind of get you started. Uh, I would say that it usually depends on the project uh, because sometimes it's easier to adjust the styles to the components and sometimes it's easier to adjust the components to the styles. Uh, so it's it's always non-trivial, but there's always ways to kind of go around it. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in here too. Um, we do exactly you know the same thing with asking for some sort of press kit at first. So giving a, giving the client the same look and feel obviously makes it feel more branded and it's, it's pretty easy to do. At this point, we've got templates where you can just plug it in. Um, the other thing I would say is we don't typically do any kind of, um, you know, any one-to-one -one type development. We're developing something new, trying to make it match their look and feel, add new functionality. There's times we've said to clients, you know, this really isn't a great fit for Shiny. You know, they're not getting any of the advantages of R. You need, if you need the statistical power, any kind of custom visualizations, yes. Um, in that case, when it is a good fit and there are things that our clients want, like custom D3, uh, so we've done this a bunch of times, and these are some of the most fun projects I've gotten to work on. Um, this kind of offhandedly answers someone else's question in the audience of, do you work with a small team? Typically, I'm doing most of the development, but when I need to pull in custom JavaScript or CSS or D3, uh, we bring in another developer. And, you know, you get to play with shiny widgets and connect up the, the HTML widget and have this fully functioning thing that now also works within your, your shiny app. So, um, Really, anything's possible. Uh, at the end of the day, you can customize all the CSS. You can create your own custom <clears throat> D3. And I know there's packages that do things like Network D3, but they're only customizable to a point. Um, so sometimes it's just better to get that kind of seasoned D3 or JS developer in to help you. Yeah, personally, I think that the goal, and probably you know everyone else on this panel will echo this, the goal of building a great Shiny app is that it doesn't look or feel like a basic shiny app that, that people don't recognize it as a shiny app or, or necessarily care that it's a shiny app. And, you know, I, I can't emphasize, uh, you know, using CSS or, or SAS, whichever you prefer, um, styling your app enough to make it look and feel like, you know, sort of whatever you want it to look and feel to go from that wireframe uh, and, and to use some of those branding and corporate colors of your client, uh, incorporate that into your shiny app and, and make it look and feel like it's theirs and it fits into their organization. Yeah, those those are excellent points. And I admit in my early days of Shiny, um, my organization wasn't quite caught up to how we can fully brand our, our um, styles, our UIs. So I was able to get away with pretty utilitarian designs. But then as some of the newer toolkits came in or packages in the ecosystem, to make dashboards look professional with minimal effort of web knowledge from my end, that got me very, very far. And, and to some of the tooling side, things like BS Lib have been a game changer for me to quickly, and I mean very quickly, adhere to even just a subset of preferred styles that my organization or the customers I work with um, are really, you know, wanting in their app, in their app UI design. So it's much easier now than it was in the old days as one that 
has been using shiny since the beginning. Um, Y'all that are just getting into shiny now, you have it. You have it pretty good now. Um, Dean and Elvers here can attest to. It was a rough ride when we were trying to figure all this stuff out ourselves on the Google mailing list. I still remember some of the great posts we would have with Joe Chang and others and trying to figure out what are we doing? How do I make this work? So it's a good time to get into this, in my opinion. <laughs> Again, that's actually it reminds me of because I remember being you know back in the day there and asking for help with like a progress loader. And then Dean comes along and writes, uh, is, that, is that your package, Shiny CSS loaders? Um, no, someone else wrote initially. Um... I, I took over it because yeah. he had the kids and, and other stuff so he couldn't <laughs> maintain it. <laughs> so you're writing all this crazy stuff and adding tags and random things in your UI to R. And now it's just like with progress and it does, and you can give it the color and it's great. Yeah, exactly. There And there's so many of these that either we've either developed ourselves internally or the community has saved my, saved my behind many times when I try to adhere to these new features. Um, but as we've seen, you know, in the in the great dialogue we've had in previous panel discussions here and, and, the, and the other talks, we definitely have those that are watching here live right now that are passionate about Shiny and would like to enter, you know, the world of perhaps consulting with Shiny. So I'll, I'll start with you, uh, Mike, but what advice do you have on how someone could prepare for such a role in doing Shiny consulting? Sure. So I guess there's a, a whole suite of just general business advice if you're trying to freelance consult or, um, you know, start your own practice, as opposed to going to an organization, maybe like Absalon or already an established consulting organization and, and working as a shiny consultant. So uh, I, I won't go maybe down that road, but um, from a consulting standpoint, I think there are some differences as opposed to if you're working in-house for a company developing shiny apps. And and one of those toughest differences is really just around communication. I think that the biggest thing that I can preach, and it probably applies to in-house as well, is just to get something in front of the client as soon as possible for them to take a look at, because you have to envision this project as just a constant iteration from start to finish. I think I heard Tanya on a podcast one time say that everything is a draft, nothing is ever finished with software. Um, you're just always, always iterating. So I take that advice very much to heart in my consulting work. And that's probably the biggest piece of advice I would, I would give out. Yeah. Just to, to play off that Mike, Mike's right. I am, um, I'm a big believer in this rapid prototyping idea. And like Eric said, getting something in front of the client sooner than later. Um, it's got its pros and cons, right? Cause you can iterate so quickly. And then sometimes people will look at that as a final version and tear it apart but you don't take that the wrong way that's you're getting really constructive and good feedback you're getting ideas that they normally wouldn't have had until they were able to react to something so it's so hard when building data products to foresee every single requirement every single filter every single little thing we're going to need that sometimes i'll put something in front of a client and they say oh you know actually um i want to see that monthly instead of yearly and you're just not going to know until you actually dive into the data and give them something tangible to play with. And that's what I think Shiny is so powerful for. It allows us data scientists to do what we're good at, not have to worry about the web development, but get something in front of people where back in the day, <laughs> back in my day, Eric, right? Like You we, bet. <laughs> we didn't have an R Studio IDE. We were, we were printing out static charts and there were no R markdown reports and um, now it's like, I, I was always jealous of the web developers and the D3 developers. And now it's like, well, I, I get to kind of do that stuff too. Um, 
so yeah, it's really powerful to be able to rapidly create like that and get that feedback. Maya is in the comments, like laughing at, at Eric's back in my day quotes right now. And, and one, one additional thing I'll throw out there um, before I let everybody else talk is the first question that I have learned the hard way you need to ask is where the shiny app is going to be hosted because yes. sometimes they don't have an answer to that and you can build this great app, but there's no uh, room in the budget or they don't have any sort of sense for, you know, where this thing is actually going to live. So learn that one the hard way a few times. Absolutely. Uh, Dean or Pedro thoughts on this. Um, yeah. So as Mike said, as Mike said, there, there's a lot of things that are general advice. Um, whenever you do enter consulting, um, I think the biggest, the biggest problem for most people is just uh, finding clients. So you need to have some sort of a strategy for uh, either building yourself a name, a brand, or have some way of creating a steady flow of clients. Again, that's not Chinese specific, but it does seem to be the hardest part and what most people always ask me about. Um, and then with Shiny, because it is still fairly new technology, um, it's less than 10 years old and it is rapidly evolving, you do need to you know, keep up on, on top of news um, anytime a new Shiny version is released, knowing everything that's happening, new packages in the Shiny versus obviously a lot of packages from the community, uh, which can get a little bit um, disorienting and difficult to, to keep on top of. And something else I would say that is more particular to Shiny developers who want to go into consulting is uh, I know a lot, a vast, vast majority of Shiny developers don't have other prior experience in um, in development, in, in programming. And so when they do start um, consulting and, and taking a lot of gigs and building for, for other people, um, they run into problems of just um, how, to, how to do this, how to, instead of writing my own application, write it, write it for a lot of other people. And I think two books that really helped me with, with those things are Clean Code and The Clean Coder. So Clean Code just showed, teaches you how to as it says, how to write clean code that that is maintainable and 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 is more bug free and just a lot of really good software practices. And Clean Coder um, teaches you how to be what they call a professional programmer. And by that they mean um, a lot of things that you just need to know how to do in order to be a successful um, either employee. But I think a lot of it applies to consultants. So things like knowing how to say no when someone asks you for a project that seems um, unrealistic for you or unrealistic within time frame. Like you need to be able to understand what you can do. Also given your other projects, right? Because only you know which other clients you have. So you need to be able to, you need to learn how to push back. You need to learn what are realistic time frames. You need to, you can't just be a pleaser and just say always yes and take everyone's projects and then not deliver them well. So being what, what they call a professional programmer that takes things seriously rather than just pleasing, I think is very important. Uh, on the topic of uh, talking with clients, I think it, this is more of a skill that you end up learning, but being able to understand what they actually want, because very often not even the client knows exactly what they want or how to translate it into like an actual uh, product. Um, this is something that either you kind of gain with time, and a lot of this is just be in meetings if if you can if you can be in these meetings when there's requirement gatherings uh if you don't be scared of asking questions uh just if something isn't clear just ask and write it somewhere um and when it comes to more 
hard skills about Shiny. I think one one good tip is uh, know your tools. So uh, Dean mentioned that it's it's important to stay up to date with with what's happening in the in the ecosystem of Shiny, uh, what the new versions bring. Uh, but even just diving a bit deeper, uh, Shiny is, is like this big iceberg. There's there's a tiny bit outside that everyone can see. But when you start diving deeper and deeper, you can you can learn a lot about how Shiny actually does things, and how you can kind of hack Shiny, do exactly what you want, uh, which I think is also a very nice skill to have. Yeah, and just on the consulting front, I think um, you know don't forget that uh, I've worked so I've worked in a bunch of both startups and Fortune 500 companies, I was fortunate that I kind of got to be the shiny evangelist and um, push the company towards using it. And as soon as you get the people, those logins and the access, you know, it spreads like wildfire. And I, I've multiple occasions, you know, we build something so quickly, engineering directors saying, well, I have a team of five or three that can't do this that quickly. So don't, don't undervalue what you sell either. Remember, you know, we're building, not only do we have the data science, machine learning, statistics, whatever your background is, but you know, you're building these products uh, sometimes too fast. And so make sure to kind of, you know, plan it out, phase it out, um, get some testing in there, just kind of accounting for everything. So yeah, I just, I would recommend, you know, try to understand the the market, how, what, it, what do developers charge for, you know, a fully fleshed out React app for this? And then do they have the data science skills and, and background? Um, so really it's just, you know, try to understand the market and get that that price range right as well. It's amazing how a lot of these lessons, um, even though I'm uh, a full-time employee in a big organization, there are still aspects of this consulting world that we deal with, even for you know counterparts like myself and others in, in life sciences, where we have some teams that um, when I first introduced Shiny in my org years ago by throwing Shiny open source server on a Red Hat, virtual machine and the Linux admin said, have at it, you're responsible for it. Little did I know that once I gave them the keys or gave my colleagues a way to deploy shiny apps, it, it exploded to Tanya's point. It just spread spread like gangbusters. And so, you know, that getting that initial enthusiasm is important. But even in a big org, you may have some teams that totally get it. They get the value of it. They get how it can supercharge your data science skills and the way you can interact with customers but then you have other teams that are still a little skeptical on the fence of like where where it can provide value so sometimes having a good first impression even if it is still a prototype but at least having a little more attention to how that's going to look the first time someone sees it can sometimes be the difference in getting that team to really adopt it and this is another kind of transition to a point that May or not be controversial for this panel, but we are seeing a lot of organizations, you know, getting understanding the value of of R and data science, and especially shining for creating web applications. And they're looking to, you know, maybe they're expanding their workforce a little bit. They want to, you know, develop a team that's responsible for building these apps. So, in the work that you've done, um, what do you think? What kind of skills or what kind of um, advice would you have for organizations that are looking to maybe, you know, like I said, upscale their capabilities with Shiny, but you're not allowed to answer, hire me. <laughs> and, uh, I, I know that would be too easy. So uh, maybe Tanya, you may want to start with maybe what uh, employers should look for if they want to expand their Shiny skills. Yeah. From the perspective of they know they want to develop with Shiny or they know they're building a data science team or just both. 
Yeah, yeah, either one's fine. Yeah, I mean, I think it does help to hire people that have uh, worked with the data products team in some capacity at some point. So whether it's, um, you know, managing, uh, you know, a, a full-blown production build or, you know, if you've worked at a startup, you've probably done it all. Like you've, you've had to project manage, manage sprints, um, head up the product plan, hire data people, analyze the data, clean the data, yeah, you know, everything. Um, I really think that experience is kind of invaluable compared to being hyper-focused at a big company. So I, I, I do think those two experiences can really help you in your career. So um, that said, yeah, identifying a t the, the team you need, like, do you actually need, you know, people with a stats background? Um, sometimes you do. There's, there's times where we, where we do. There's times where we don't. There's times we just need someone that can do, you know, business analytics and their aggregations and charts and drill downs and um, things that seem more basic, but honestly can get really complicated quickly. Um, so I think just having the the right mix of technical as well as kind of business acumen on your team is, is huge. Um, and how you structure the team, are they going to operate in a silo? Are they going to, are you going to make sure it's kind of cross pollinated across all the different groups? Um, I find the more communication, the better, but that's just kind of, that's been, been my, my experience. I think there's no such thing as too much communication for sure. <laughs> I, I think that's, that's what most consultants do. They come in, they say you and you talk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so we're just getting the right people to talk to each other and getting, getting the requirements up front. Um, yeah, yeah. Others um, on the panel, any thoughts on, on this? Yeah. I'll, I'll piggyback on that. If you don't mind, I, I would point kind of my answer more towards the manager level folks who, who might be listening in and, and thinking about building out their shiny resources. And I would say I've seen this happen a few times. I've been the victim of this, but uh, back when I was working for a company, but you can't expect the same resource to be able to do everything um, just because somebody knows R and maybe somebody's doing some machine learning and you, you know, read an article or, or see that, you know, there's these tremendous capabilities in shiny. You, you can't necessarily put, shiny development um, as a whole nother uh, aspect of this person's job description, if that's not something necessarily that they're uh, looking for. So team data science, I think is super important. Um, you know, can't expect that same resource to do everything. Can't expect them to, to be a unicorn, unless I guess you're, you're willing to pay for a unicorn and find one of those unicorns, which is, is really difficult. So um, I, I would definitely be empathetic to the resources that you have on staff that shiny to somebody who does like machine learning all day, Shiny can look very foreign um, to them. So it, it really is sort of this niche within the R ecosystem that does require um, somebody to spend, you know, most of their probably full-time effort uh, developing, learning about Shiny, keeping up to date with what's going on in the Shiny ecosystem. And maybe to piggyback, piggyback on the piggyback, uh, I think that, so understanding exactly what you want to create kind of helps you define these roles. Uh, maybe your product is just something that uh, is about data analysis. So it, it's fine if, if your dashboard isn't uh, super scalable or, or looks amazing or something. It's more about the functionality. And in this case, uh, I think it's fine to assume that you don't need a very uh, a very fancy developer. Let's say it's fine if it's if it if it's someone coming from the from the data science side and just 
knows a bit of shiny or learned a bit of shiny and has that not as a main skill, but as a secondary skill. Uh, but I've seen this in very large organizations, for example, where teams have to fight for the, the actual, uh, for, for their products to actually be spread around and reach management. And in this case, user adoption, user experience becomes a very big part of the products that they create uh, simply because there's actual internal concurrent, uh, uh, internal product, multiple internal products being created that kind of do the same thing. And you want your product to be used uh, because maybe you want a bigger budget or maybe you want uh, to kind of make your team known for something. So uh, knowing exactly what you want to focus on and hire the right people for that, I think is also important. Excellent. Dean, you have any thoughts? So, yeah, sure. So I'm going to kind of bridge uh, Tanya and Pedro, whoever started and then whoever piggybacked on the piggyback. Um, Tanya said that you should you know, hire the right person. Um, do you really need someone with a stats background just because they happen to know Shiny? Um, or oftentimes I would say that people should hire someone who's Shiny and it's okay if they don't have any stats background. It's okay if it's sometimes better if they come from a computer science background. And then Pedro said that it's totally okay if they are just data science. And yes, of course, both are good depending on your um, on what your actual goals are as a manager. If you want to create, uh, if you just need to make a little simple shiny app that um, takes some kind of statistical model that you have built, and understanding that model is the most important feature here, and just take that model and put it in front of a GUI and just be able to kind of use it internally, then yes, it's totally fine to have someone who's just a data science uh, person who has some shiny knowledge build that. Uh, whereas if you're planning on building out a full shiny team and building large complex apps um, that might go into production, might be used by a lot of other people that are much more complex, then you might want to think of hiring um, the other type of shiny developer. And then the other side of that question of what, what you do if you're the employee itself who wants to um, to kind of ramp up in shiny, uh, not not the employer, not the manager. Um, I would say that one important thing that um, a lot of Chinese developers lack is uh, understanding some JavaScript. So I would take some JavaScript tutorials. You don't need to worry about all the frameworks. Like most most JavaScript developers um, are very familiar with a ton of frameworks and big JavaScript libraries, which can be very scary. Uh, but I don't think for Shiny purposes that is necessary. I think just knowing simple, plain vanilla JavaScript is enough. And I would also say, if you want to ramp up your Shiny, um, watch uh, videos from old conferences, um, especially if they're used by, by our studio employees, Joe Cheng, especially. Uh, and read a lot of the articles on our studio's website. Um, and also, there's a, uh, there's a GitHub repository called Awesome Shiny, which has a lot of links uh, to a lot of different packages and articles and, and just things that are extremely useful for Shiny. So. Some it's it's a good great resource to to kind of get to your next level. Yeah, that's that's a good point too. And that the this ecosystem is expanding every day almost. So being able to have the resources to keep up to date. Um, this is actually a, an audience question as well. Um, I would definitely keep up with that. And to be honest, I mean, being able to talk with each of you in my previous Shiny Dev series episodes has been a terrific way for me to keep up to date. I have literally taken lessons from all of you in my previous conversations and be able to build them into 
my apps in one way, shape, or form. So it's it's fun to be a geek about shiny. It actually helps with my day job too. <laughs> so it's always a good time for that. And um, with all of you on here, I mean, I can't resist the the chance to ask some technical stuff. But um, we'll maybe we'll start with uh, with you, Pedro. But what is one development technique or package that you use when you develop shiny apps that you simply cannot live without? It's just like always there in in the apps you create. I think the one that's always there right now is SAS, uh, simply because I usually end up creating so much custom styling for 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 my components, and SAS really gives you uh, a lot of flexibility when it comes to managing those styles. You can break them down into smaller files, uh, organize everything like you want. Uh, it's also more of a CSS for programmers, let's say. It has a lot of uh, additional features that basic CSS doesn't give you. Uh, so things like loops, uh, conditions, uh, th there's a lot going on there that's definitely useful. Uh, and when it comes to techniques, I would say modules. It, it doesn't really matter which type of modules, uh, as long as there's some kind of modular approach. Uh, I, I, I truly believe that uh, you should write, a, you should be able to write a piece of code. It does what you want, and you forget about it. You just know that there's a function or there's a module. There's there's something that does this, and you, you don't want to touch it again unless you have to. But you kind of want to abstract and just free that mental space that. This I, I need to keep in mind that all of these things are happening uh, for this to happen. I don't want to deal with that. I just want to know that there's a function that does what I want. Something comes in, something comes out, and modules really help with this. Yes, and one thing I just want to add a little bit of clarification. This SAS framework is SASS, not another one that sounds like that. And insert your joke for all the life sciences people out there. <laughs> anyway, um, Mike, how about you? What, what technique or package you can't live without? One that I really can't live without is sort of more along the lines of user experience, and that's the waiter package. Um, if you're doing anything computational that takes a few seconds, being able to put some sort of a waiting screen, a loading screen, progress, whatever, in front of the users to let them know that uh, you know the app didn't just sort of get this little translucent screen like you might be used to uh, if in your early days of developing Shiny, if you don't use waiter. Um, while things are running on the back end, but you're actually giving them some indication that this process is running, things are okay, just give it a second. And, uh, you know, from a user experience standpoint, they will continue to be engaged. That's one of my favorites. Love interactive charts. Um, I, you know, I, I don't see too many use cases in my day-to-day -day development where I want to put a ggplot within a Shiny app. If I have the opportunity to make that interactive so that the user can hover over that, and get the actual exact values, um, whether it be a time series or whatnot, um, that I'll try to include interactive charts in there as well. And a great shout out to, to modules, Pedro, I can't emphasize that enough. I saw in the chat, um, there was a question about, for folks who are sort of not super beginners in Shiny, but also not advanced experts, like sort of in the middle, what is, is our biggest recommendation? And personally, I would say start checking out modules if you aren't familiar with them yet. That would be my biggest recommendation. Excellent. Uh, uh, Tanya, how about you? Yeah, mine usually come down to um, the user experience. Uh, I knew some, I figured someone would say modules as well. I think we're all fans of those. Um, but so between, you know, Shiny BS, for example, that's, I think that's, that one's one of Dean's uh, 
being able to have tool tips to guide the user through what's happening or a drop down where you can select all and deselect all and search for, you know, um, when we're doing the kind of server side select eyes, you have, if you have that 3000 options coming from a database, you know, to improve performance, um, things like I actually, I had not used waiter before. So again, I learned something new every day in this, in this field. I, I usually use uh, shiny CSS loaders. So obviously I want to check that out right after this. Um, yeah, that, that's a few of them. And again, interactive charts. I, I love ggplotly because I can just write my ggplot and then wrap it with ggplotly and not have to worry about writing it in plotly, which I will do sometimes. But there's all these wrappers and really smart people making things easier and easier for people like me every day. So um, I'm super thankful for the this community. Yeah, uh, I obviously agree with the three of them. I think the top two I would have said are, are the same ones. Uh, first of all, modules. Uh, it, it, I will say it took me about a year since modules were released in Chinese until I actually um, got around um, how awkward they initially feel and saw the huge value in them. So I know a lot of people um, stay away from modules because they do look a bit intimidating initially, but they really, really are something that once you once it clicks why you should use them and once you understand how to use them um, i always take advantage of them and, and of course ux uh, it is very important um, right from the beginning to always make sure that anything you do um, is just easier for the user so i always use stuff like shiny js to hide or show certain elements or disable or enable uh, for example if you have a button like a submit or, um, or like run analysis i would make sure that that button is disabled until all the options that are required for it have been uh, set. Um, so those two are really important, uh, UX and modules. And another thing I would say to add something new <laughs> that I always do is making my code very um, testable and easily, quickly um, developable. And what I mean by that is uh, making it such that because when you're developing Shiny, a lot of times you're running the app, you know. 30 times in an hour. So you want to make sure that when you do run the app, um, you're able to kind of iterate quickly. So I do things like adding a flag for development that when the flag is on, it'll automatically populate some inputs and upload a data file. Or perhaps if initially I'm doing a, a read from a database, I would kind of try to, while developing, just kind of read it ahead of time so that I'm not doing the start. So I'm kind of reducing the startup time because that really takes a big chunk out of your day if, if you're developing and you're constantly wasting time on just waiting or doing things that don't have to be manual. Yep, all these I have, I've used in, in many of my apps. Um, one, if I, if I had to answer my own question, um, it's not Shiny specific, but I've been starting to put more tables into my Shiny apps and certainly I've been using DT for a long time. But one that has really gotten my attention for its flexibility and kind of the wow factor when you can configure it correctly is reactable because with reactable i can make very rich um per, looks professionally designed tables with nesting with interactive elements it is it has changed how i present results in my shiny apps i could link it with custom modules to do like ui enhancements or ui edits it was i i had an app that eventually ended up being shared with some very important people and the design of COVID trials where this reactable table to show the simulation results 
literally was their favorite feature. It wasn't about that I linked to this huge HPC system. Oh, they didn't care about that. They liked the table. So sometimes that UX stuff is what, what gets that first impression. And yeah, all these, all the community itself, um, I've been, I've coined the phrase, it's never just shiny in many episodes previously, because that is indeed the life I live. It is always a, a pretty, pretty extensive description file when I put my app as a package and it's a healthy mix of UI UX packages, backend packages, API packages. It's, it's never just one thing. So sometimes there is a bit of an art to blending this together, but the techniques that y'all have emphasized with modules and making code that you know is fit for purpose but that's something that you can test you can quickly evaluate and make it easier for others to collaborate with you because i've seen it the hard way i thought i set things up great but then i had a team come on that admittedly we're still pretty new to shiny and they were kind of intimidated by the overall structure so sometimes that onboarding for even just developers is critically important so that it's not just you having to do all the work you can effectively spread out that work across um across the team so excellent excellent advice there and um, we do have a few minutes i'll take an audience question here it's kind of general but um y'all have obviously such great experience developing apps that have gone from prototyping and production so um what is your typical workflow when you create one of these apps when you start from scratch all the way to production are there certain techniques that you utilize along the way from both a technical standpoint or a more practical kind of team-oriented standpoint. I don't know who wants to take that one on. I would maybe start with uh, version control and RAMF. I think these are like, for me, the two starting points that uh, have to be in any application, uh, especially RAMF whenever you go back to an application that you did six months, a year ago, and you realize that it doesn't run anymore because some package updated and you have the wrong version. Uh, nowadays, I always add these straight from the beginning. Just make sure that I can easily reproduce the environment or someone else can easily reproduce the environment down the line. Excellent. Others have thoughts? I'll second both of those as well. Those are ones that I love using. From a non-technical standpoint, I open up uh, a website called Excalidra, and that's where I do any of the wireframing and sketching out by hand. And it's really, really easy tool to be able to start doing some of that wireframing and, and build the layout that I want to have. And um, I can't uh, overemphasize just a healthy README as well ensuring that you're sort of documenting the way that the app is supposed to be used um, upfront as well. So. Um, I will, sorry, Tanya. Okay. Uh, go, going back to something you talked about a few times, modules. Um, some people might disagree with me, say that it's a bit of an overkill over engineering, but I also generally use modules like right from the get go. Um, so, so that, Really, every little part of my application, if, if there's a few tabs, for example, like immediately I would put the first tab um, inside a module. Um, and the advantage of that is that then, I think it was Pedro who mentioned who mentioned like the nice benefit of it is that you, you kind of write that and 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 you kind of you know right away that that this little piece of code you wrote is a black box. It's not going to affect anyone else in ways you didn't intend to. And once you're done with it and you move on to a different module, different part of the app, um, you can 
completely ignore this other piece of the code you wrote. So that immediately makes uh, like gives you a much smaller code base to worry about. Because you could even remove that whole module. You could just take out everything in it. Um, and it would, you know, your app would still work um, if there's no cross dependencies. So, so writing from a, with a module perspective uh, immediately, I think, uh, really, really helps um, get your apps a little bit bigger without um, running into too many issues. Yeah, and uh, I definitely like the um, creating a mockup with the client if possible. So it's it's amazing how valuable that is. I, I'll use Balsamic as another one. Uh, there's Figma, um, but being able to just talk through it and place charts and then even titling the chart together, uh, you'd be amazed what comes out of there. You're, is it, it's this dimension by this, you know, by month or by year. And then they, they sit there and actually really think about what they want to see and um, what makes sense. Uh, additionally, because we've, we've done so many of these now, I kind of have templates of things that I consistently do, like clicking a chart that filters a data table or vice versa, linked charts. And so not rewriting the wheel every time, I kind of have snippets that I can plop into my code um, just to speed things up a little bit. I still would like to do that in a kind of a more, a fancier way if possible, like some kind of scaffolding that spits all this stuff out, but uh, haven't had time for that. Maybe someone will make a package. <laughs> I'd imagine there's gonna be some adventurous developers out there that will they'll take a hand at that. Um, yeah, um, and one, this will be kind of my last slide. We, we kind of answered this a little bit in pieces, but I wanted to ask more specifically here. We talked about, you know, awesome concepts like shiny modules, um, package management. Um, I definitely second that. Um, but is there a technique in shiny development itself that you think either doesn't get enough attention or is simply not used enough? Now, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of start it with, I've become a big fan of creating my apps, no matter big or small, as packages with the Golem framework um, that has actually upscaled my ability to go from prototyping to production immensely. And I realize Golem is not the only solution in this space. We'll be hearing more about other solutions in this very conference, um, but that forced me into some great development best practices. So, um, and of course, I have to say this if Colin's watching, once you go Golem, you never go back. Uh, there you go, Colin, hope checks in the mail. Anyway, um, so I'll, I'll throw it over to, uh, I'll start with Mike. Um, what's, what's a technique you think is not utilized enough in Shiny? Underutilized in Shiny. Um, uh, you, know, I, you know me that I'm a huge Golem stand. I will say, you know, one thing that I've preached in the past, which is, I think sort of obvious, but but folks might forget to do and can help from a performance standpoint is to just query the data that you need. Um, so if that is an API with a get request, um, you know, maybe based upon some, some inputs that the user selects or, or the date that they're logging into the app, ensure that when in the server you're reaching out to that API to get the data that you're adding um, those suffixes onto the end of, of the get request. Just pull in the data that you need within the application instead of pulling in all of the data and then doing your data prep or your data filtering um, you know, within the application itself. If you have the ability, whether it be through a query or through a, a database query or through an API to add some filters, add some summarization, aggregation, whatever you need, um, I think that that can be an underused technique because it will sort of allow your performance to be a lot better than it would be as it 
otherwise if you were pulling all of the data in. Yeah, and maybe on that note, uh, dbplyr versus dplyr, because it, it, it kind of does exactly uh, what you're mentioning. Um, being, of course, it's always very nice to have the whole data to play around uh, in memory on the shiny side, but it, especially when you, you start scaling these up, uh, less less data equals less memory equals more users. So it's always a good thing to kind of keep in mind. That's going to be a clip for a future trailer. Awesome. Awesome quote, Pedro. Um, others, uh, Dean or Tanya, have thoughts? Yeah, so I think... Uh... I, I think uh, the, the sad thing is that uh, Shiny has a lot of features and in every version that they, they come up with, there, there's a few new features that get introduced. And um, I've noticed that a lot of them kind of go unnoticed under the radar. Um, I think they probably announced them on blog posts, but for some reason, they just like don't pick up um, enough hype for some reason. So things like caching, um, that you're able to cache your plots and cache your reactives as well uh, can really be huge performance gains. And I have yet to see a client come to me um, with code, because a lot of clients come to me with pre-existing Shiny apps, and I have never yet seen uh, seen caching being used. Um, and in general, I just don't see it much being discussed. I don't see it uh, on Stack Overflow or in the RStudio community. It, it just doesn't seem to be used a lot, at least from what I see. Um, and similarly, the async uh, capability of Shiny, um, it was something that was requested by many developers for, for years, and then Shiny did introduce support for it. Um, the ability to have multiple users um, on the same Shiny app, and when one person is using, when one user is using the, um, the thread, the resources, another user is still able to use Shiny, it's not blocked for everyone. That feature I also don't see used utilize as much as I would have thought it would be. Excellent. How about you, Tanya? Yeah, um, seconded on the caching, actually. I was I was doing some reading. Of, sorry, my dog was barking, so I was trying to stay on mute. Um, I was looking up some caching information, and I, I end up going to Twitter and just using the rstats hashtag, because I know someone here will probably try to chime in and, and help answer a question. But I, I wasn't sure exactly you know, how much um, data actually gets cached? When does it reset? Is it like a 24 hour cache? Like, you know, there's um, having worked with all these different databases, I have different caching mechanisms. So I was trying to just understand, you know, when will the cache sort of reset or is it when the, the data gets updated? So big one for caching. And uh, I would say that it's not often you see modules and again, that it's they're everything like the panelists have said, it's everything's still very new. So uh, I wouldn't expect most shiny developers or beginner shiny developers to be using modules yet, but it's something to start reading about. Um, and uh, props to, I think Maya's in the audience. She got me to finally start using Gollum. Uh, so a big one for Gollum. So I I think um, an excellent, uh, <laughs> if, if it was a one word summary for, for today, it would, it would be modules. That seemed to have come <laughs> up in every single question. So anyone out there who hasn't used them, this should be your, your, your proof that, that, you should start taking a look. <laughs> yep, and it wasn't even me that brought it up first. So you know, I'm usually the one that's been speaking <laughs> the module uh, mantra for years. But now, hey, I got we got video and audio proof that it ain't just me here. <laughs> well, one we could, thing, we I, could, I, yeah. Go ahead. I forgot to add was I don't see a lot of also um, parallelization. Like yes, the four each package um, use those cores nowadays. You know, you've got at least four, hopefully eight. But um, yeah, 
parallelization is a big yep. one. Parallelization, but responsibly. I have had situations <laughs> yeah. where um, it wasn't so much shiny specific, but early in my career, I took down an entire HPC cluster as I got too gritty with cores. So Same. plus one for me. <laughs> so definitely be mindful of your uh, admins that are you know administering Shiny Server Pro or Studio Connect. They may not like it if you use all the cores. So. <laughs> Um, well, we could we could obviously talk all day. I mean, I, I it's so great to have you on. We're going to have to wrap up here. But um, before we sign off, I want to give each of you a chance to kind of plug where people can find where you're up to in the community and, and any of the um, services you offer. So, uh, Dean, we'll start with you. Yeah, sure. Um, so if, if someone needs to reach me, uh, best way is to just go to my website or email me. Do not use LinkedIn. Uh, I've been less active on Twitter recently too, so just email me. That's the best. And and what I do, um, as Eric mentioned in the beginning, uh, I have a shiny consultancy at Tallytech, and we just deal with just purely shiny. That's all we do. So if you need any shiny help, feel free to reach out. All right. How about you, Tanya? Yeah, um, you can find me on Twitter. I'm Tanya Cash Twenty One. Um, that's somewhat active there. Like I said, I go there sometimes when I have really niche, weird R questions or shiny questions. You can go to our website, tcbanalytics.com and use our contact form. Uh, we I got my start in bioinformatics, uh, formerly trained in computer science and biology. That said, we have a big healthcare presence, but we also have now spanned across you know every industry. Um, we work with the Department of Defense, uh, sports tech companies, financial services companies. So uh, data is everywhere and it's it's a very similar approach across the board. Uh, happy to help or answer questions for people if you reach out as well. Awesome. How about you, Mike? Sure. Yeah. So I'm the chief data scientist at Catchbrook Analytics. You can go to catchbrookanalytics.com. Find us there. Find us on LinkedIn, wherever you're looking for. We do full stack data science. So building data pipelines, automation, model development, model validation. And then, of course, uh, production grade shiny apps. So feel free to, to reach out um, on LinkedIn, on, on Twitter as well, Mike underscore Catchbrook, wherever you wherever you prefer. Awesome, and I hope people know where to find you, Pedro, but just in case. Yeah, so uh, you can find me through Epsilon. Uh, there's links probably everywhere uh, around <laughs> you right now. Uh, I also, you can also find me on Twitter, uh, LinkedIn. Uh, I do some open source, so uh, if you check my GitHub and you're interested in that kind of stuff, uh, you might also find some interesting stuff there. Awesome. Well, well, thank you all for joining me today. Um, this has been a, a fun, fun discussion. Our audience seemed really engaged with, with our topics. And certainly, yeah, please give all of us a shout if you want to keep the conversation going. And if you want to see previous episodes of the Shiny Developer Series, just head to shinydevseries.com, which recently got a new facelift of a brand new Hugo theme, very slick looking. And of course, all the recordings are on our YouTube channel where you may be seeing this right now if you're seeing this after the fact. Um, but yeah, we're gonna close up shop here. This is a great conference. We still got a lot to get to. But again, my thanks to Absalom for having me on. I should be back tomorrow for an actual presentation. Um, but yeah, until I talk to you next time, bye everybody. And thanks again for joining. <laughs>